This is episode two of the Performance Dietitian podcast, and we are bringing back Steve Smith. So in episode one, Steve talked to us about what it was like to work with the Army's Special Forces group. So today, he's going to be discussing his time with the Houston Texans. And not only that, but he's also going to be sharing some amazing advice for any dietitian who's wanting to come into the sports world or who really is just coming up in their profession. So you guys are definitely going to want to listen all the way to the end. So here we go. Episode number two. Let's talk football. So Steve, you're also the sports performance coordinator for the Houston Texans. Um, and you worked as their uh, dietitian. So can you kind of talk a little bit about what that means? So we know you were their dietitian, but what does it mean to be the sports performance coordinator? And, and how did that kind of come about? So I started off in the position specifically as I say just the dietitian, but it has, I guess, so many jobs by itself. But um, it kind of naturally transitioned uh, based on our needs as an organization um, and based on our staffing to a dual role where uh, my job initially was um, working primarily as a dietitian, managing uh, the day-to-day operations. That encompassed a lot of different things for the, for the first year and a half that I was there or two years that I was there. Uh, and really every year, um, the way that the football season runs, it's kind of a seven months of straight football of operations for the season. And then you move straight into postseason work. And during that postseason time, what you're trying to do is evaluate how the season went, the good, the bad, and different. And then uh, you're, you're dealing with kind of postseason injuries as far as operations, cleanups, you name it. Could be big injuries, could be small injuries, uh, kind of the nagging stuff that's been sitting around for for the entire year that people have pushed through, uh, that they're getting addressed at the end. Um, so you're dealing with that, but then it gives you the time to be able to not sit down and, and honestly rest, but take a retrospective look at what happened over the last year, two years, whatever it may be, to see where you are as an organization, uh, where you came from over the previous year, and then where you are in the grand scheme of things against your competition. So against your division, against your conference, against the entire NFL. So we took a look at that and um, essentially said, well, we're kind of in the dark ages, relatively speaking, as far as tracking was concerned, as far as understanding the demands of our athletes and how we can really do them the most good uh, to be able to get information that can provide us an informed question that can give us an answer to give a realistic intervention that can impact them today, tomorrow, the next week, the next month, whatever it may be. And so that materialized into a a long process of developing a sports science program, if you want to call it that, um, where the first stage was taking a look at all of the technology that was available for what they call an athlete management system, which is a, essentially a a data repository to be able to put all of your information in from different input feeds. Uh, Some people are familiar with things like catapult, heart rate, um, recovery, wellness data, uh, sleep data, you name it. Uh, There's, there are some limitations based on the collective bargaining agreement of what you can and cannot uh, track by what you dictate. And then there are some things that you can track with some specifics of who sees what information, uh, as long as the player 
basically ops in. Um, so we developed a program that I was kind of heading on on the front end, and then we ended up hiring a, a director of sports science uh, to help kind of guide it along its way once it was developed. Uh, so my role day to day was to manage a lot of the input feeds. We had a ton of data support from our analytics guys. Um, Russell, one of our biggest ones, he was a, a head of our football uh, informatics. Um, so he did a lot of the statistical analysis and had uh, a couple guys working for him um, on the, the data side. And then it was how can we manage this to be able to do the most good? Essentially, became one of the the people as a part of a treatment team between the coaching staff, the uh, scouting staff, including the general manager, the athletic training staff, equipment staff, and strength staff, uh, to get everybody on the same page and speaking the same language and being able to work in the same direction instead of five different ones against each other. So, uh, so you implemented or you were key in implementing this program for the Houston Texans. Is this a program that other professional teams um, have in their in their clubs as well? There are a lot of clubs that collect data um, in many different forms. Some of them function as a as a whole unit as far as having everything go into one one space for evaluation. And then some of the clubs silo it off based on your individual specialty area and then have some point of contact potentially uh, at, at a higher level above everyone to take a look at the information. But it's become more and more prevalent year in and year out. Um, there's a lot more data that's out there. The league has actually adopted some game day data tracking that, that can be beneficial if, if looked at correctly and filtered out correctly to be able to give you at least a little bit more insight into what's going on and how you can better prepare your athletes for success. Uh, but it's it has become a trend and right, wrong, or indifferent. Some, some ways for good and some ways just for the sake of a lot more work created with with negligible benefit depends on how you look at it. Do you feel like you saw uh, a benefit um, during your time there or were you potentially not there long enough to kind of see um, the fruition of any benefit from the development of that program? Um, I, I think that we saw some pretty good benefit. It depends on uh, what your outcome goals are. I think a lot of it was putting our guys in a position to evaluate some um, I guess situations that could potentially lead to negative consequences, like let's say lack of recovery or soreness consistently leading to like nagging injury or being an indicator of, of early onset of, of sickness, et cetera. We did you know, lab testing, all sorts of, uh, of other evaluations as a part of it. So it, it gave us some pretty good insight. I can't say that it's, I don't think anybody's in a position to be able to, to give you the black box of if this happens and you do this. Um, I think that's what everybody's searching for, whether or not they'll ever be able to find it. But I feel like if you use the, the information appropriately within the context of your building and how you operate as a team and practice as a team and recover as a team, you can do well. And I think that's essentially what we did. Now it's, you know, what's happened in the year since then, I can't speak to, but um, I know that, you know, every time you have changeover, in an organization, uh, usually there's pretty seismic shifts as far as what you're what you're doing on a holistic level from um, tracking standpoint, and what's going to be available for technology, and the amount of money that's that's thrown at problems or perceived problems when new people come in. 
So remind me, uh, what season were you with the Texans? So I was there uh, from the 2014 season when Coach O'Brien came in through the uh, 2017 and 18 season, so for four seasons. And when you are talking about the sports performance program, you talked about uh, the mitigation of illness and assisting in recovery. And as the dietitian on the team um, with that program and even, even before that program started for that club, what was some of the major functions of your position within the team? So I guess the primary function that has to be maintained is, I mean, not, not I guess I know or it should be, as you're the subject matter expert when it comes to nutrition, uh, there are, are several other positions where people have been exposed to nutrition information at varying levels, but you should be functioning as the, the subject matter expert for the organization um, and being able to impact feeding and, and overall uh, supplementation, et cetera. So uh, primarily it was, it was being the source of information for our guys, being a resource for them. Um, if they have questions, if there's things that, um, that need to be addressed acutely or over an off season or planning and preparation, um, we would do kind of team educations, individual, basically programming for the guys uh, in combination with our strength and conditioning staff and sports medicine staff, depending on their status for injury and, and performance and where they, where they sat on the roster, whether it was 53 man roster, uh, you know, practice squad, or if they're just part of the 90 during, during camp competing to be able to, to get to either one of those. Um, then on top of that, we managed all of the, at the time, I guess first, first three years, we did camp here in Houston. Um, and then uh, my last year, we started at the Greenbrier. Uh, they've shifted back from the Greenbrier, West Virginia, to, to Houston again. But managing feeding during camp, uh, basically everywhere there's, there's food and the opportunity for eating, you, are, you at least have a, the potential for impact. So uh, planes, in the facility, travel, hotels, um, at the stadium, pre and post. Um, and then you know, we took it a, a step further and went I developed relationships with a uh, local chef here that uh, happens to be a James Beard Award winner um, to be able to work on some individual meal setups for guys. So if I give them a program, these guys use their expertise in being able to make the food palatable and, and um, something that the guys want to eat consistently to, to maintain their intake. Um, and essentially they have quote-unquote restaurant uh, style meals uh, for home. So trying to impact the, the percentage of time that's outside the building. Um, other than that, we have the hydration component, which is in Houston during camp, especially, and probably for the first half of the season, kind of a nightmare for practice outside uh, with the heat and humidity and just the volume of training. Um, that role is kind of shifted. It's basically a shared role of being able to be the person managing a lot of the protocols along with help and bodies from athletic training and kind of the, the constant message from all the staff, making sure that people are taking care of themselves on that side. Um, supplementation wise, a lot of times it's evaluating the supplements that are being taken in, trying to uh, stave off potential risk of positive tests along with uh, giving people appropriate recommendations for performance, recovery, and then even uh, in that post-operative care, perioperative care realm of trying to enhance the recovery in the event that you do get injured. Um, occasionally, 
a dietitian ends up with um, an athlete with a chronic disease state, like say type one diabetes. And so a lot of it ends up, you end up managing the uh, performance and clinical aspects of, of their care while they're with the organization and trying to prevent issues from coming up, manage their day-to-day function with them and see how you can optimize their, their training and ultimately what they put out on the field on Sunday or Thursday or Monday. So, you know, we kind of talked um, before about, um, you know, the receptiveness of working with the military when it comes to being a dietitian. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how were, how about the, the football players? Were they pretty receptive of your recommendations? Did you face kind of some of the same barriers? What was that like? I feel like anywhere you have high achieving individuals that have gotten to where they are based on their, kind of, whether it be um, self sought out information, their gurus that everybody's got a guy in the NFL uh, during the off season, right, wrong or indifferent. Um, and a lot of times that person establishes value by trying to, to take hold of the, the recovery aspect, the strength and conditioning aspect, the nutrition aspect, all the rest. So they get a little bit of, of blurred lines and you know, weird recommendations sometimes, not all not all the time, but uh, you have, it's a spectrum. You have a good core group that are bought in and, and um, really want as much information as you're willing to give, sometimes almost too much for their own good. You've got a core group that um, will just do what you tell them to do because they know it's the right thing and they know that if left to their own devices, at least for periods of time, that they're... Um, they're not going to do all that great. Um, and then you've got the, the group that thinks they know it all or not that they know it all, but they're just unwilling to do it any way than they think is correct for them, uh, whether it's to their benefit or detriment. The difference there is, you know, if you got guys making millions of dollars, there's a lot at stake. Um, and so you have to, you have to manage your interactions with them and pretty much uh, depending on the culture of the organization, you have to, pick and fight, pick and choose your battles. Um, so, so I would say that you have, you have a pretty good core group that, that buys in, whether just tell me what to do and I'll do it or guys that want the information to be able to apply it themselves or that, that question just for the sake of information. And then uh, a fair percentage that just want to do it on their own. And uh, so be it. So you kind of mentioned that, you know, um, sometimes there can be a barrier there because um, you know, these guys are high achieving, you know, they make a lot of money. What are some of the other barriers that you came across when working with these guys in terms of really getting them on track with the nutrition programming? Um, I think one of the things you always have to be aware of is where guys come from. You know, it's, there's a pretty broad spectrum for the most part. So we have in the NFL, there's a, it's one of the unique sports where you have all versions of, um, of background of individuals that come together on the same team with the, with similar goals in trying to win the ultimate championship, which is you know, the Super Bowl. So, with that in mind, you have some kids that are um, like the NFL equivalent of bonus babies that are first round draft picks that get twenty million up front or thirty million up front, whatever it is, depending on when they came in the NFL and feel like they've made it. And then you've got kids that are fighting, clawing, trying to get every 10th of 1% gain they possibly can because they're number 53 of the 53 or the back back 10 of the uh, 53 man roster. 
or even on the practice squad trying to break in. Um, and then some of these guys come from uh, very well-off families and Ivy League schools. And then you've got some that come from um, JUCOs or uh, you name the, the walk-on at a small Division three or NAIA school that, that came from a, an, a relatively impoverished background that aren't used to having some of these things available to them. And so uh, immediate wealth poses a lot of different um, challenges, some good, some bad. Uh, it's a lot of just managing the difference and expectations and trying to figure out uh, how you can communicate with those guys and what they value most to be able to get the message across. And you mentioned earlier that sometimes you have to battle against some of the weird recommendations that these guys run into. So you have to tell me, what are some of these weird recommendations that you heard? Uh, I mean, <laughs> don't say names. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely won't. <laughs> It's one thing I know better than do. <laughs> That's the quickest way to get yourself in trouble. No, I, I mean, guys, guys have their own brand for a reason. I don't need to be any part of making or breaking it. They can do that plenty good on their own. Um, no, there's there are plenty of places out there to do a really good job in the off season or even during the season uh, to be able to support guys, whether it's through agents, recommendations, etc. But there are some that um, are a little bit overzealous in their recommendations and kind of miss the forest for the trees, especially on the supplementation side and even some basic nutrition recommendations that are applied incorrectly. Um, so like you see guys that walk back in the locker room with a duffel bag full of halfway labeled or unlabeled bottles of supplements, like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? That's what the hell is going on? Um, and it's like, oh, but my, my trainer gave me all these. Like, he gave you all these, recommended all them? Were they made in his garage? Were they, like, from a reputable source? Do you even know? Do you know what the fuck's in them? So it's really more of, I think the biggest risk for me or, and for the organization as a whole and even for the player's brand is, you know, making sure that you're keeping them away from what a lot of people would consider bad actors of they're making recommendations Some. Most of the time you would hope in, in good faith trying to increase performance, but at the end of the day, the source of the product could put them at risk for a, a positive test. And that's one of the things that if you're, you know, availability is dependability. So if you're available, if you're not injured, if you are ready to be called on any given time, you are considered relatively dependable. But if you have a suspension, whether that be four games or 10 games, depending on repeat offense, then you are officially not available which deems you not dependable. So it's trying to keep them out of that category and really give them the best opportunity to maximize their time that's available because the window is pretty short for most NFL players. Most of the people that uh, people see in the media are the guys that have you know, beaten the statistical game of you know, 7, 8, 10, 12, I mean, 19 years for some of these guys that are just absolute outliers. But the majority of the guys, the core group of NFL players that uh, – that go without their names being mentioned in the papers every week are the guys that really give the, the league value apart from the flash on TV. And those are guys that last on average about three and a half to four years uh, for the average life cycle. So if you're thinking bottom end pay of uh, roughly 500 grand a year of, of league minimum on the 53, that's really not that much. That's $2 million to last you the rest of your life. If you don't have a viable second option, so how can you how can you maximize the time that you're there to get all of your performance benefits to 
prevent you from losing money, from losing playing time, from being suspended. And ultimately, to if you're going to be sponsored by anyone, give you the opportunity to by giving you playing time on Sunday. So it's you're trying to impact all the guys depending on where they are, treating all the guys as if they're not as if they're the number one guy, but treating them all fairly and appropriately because they all do matter and they're all going to contribute to your organization in some way, shape or form and, and deserve and honestly should be getting your services. For people who aren't in uh, sports dietetics, especially with any type of uh, whether it be collegiate team or professional team, all we really see is the glitz and the, the glamour of, of working maybe in the spotlight with those professional teams. So can you give us kind of the, the truth behind the glamour and talk a little bit about what were some of um, the biggest challenges in working in sports dietetics with a professional team? Oh boy, get behind the curtain. Um, the inconvenient truth is that everybody grinds their nuts off. You're not special because you're a dietitian there. I mean, people see the things on Sunday, and yes, Sunday allows us to get, I guess, the light at the end of the tunnel every week and something to look forward to. Uh, but you're working seven days a week for essentially six to seven months a year uh, with a, maybe a couple of days off, potentially, depending on the scenario during bye week. Um, and you're, I mean, I can't speak to everyone's situation. In my situation, you're there before the players get there. You're there at 4, 4.30 in the morning. Um before the training room's open, trying to make sure that everything's set up, ready to roll, and about the only time that you're going to get a workout in, which that eventually tailed off for me specifically because you're just exhausted. And then uh, you're not finishing your day until virtually all, well, all the players are out of the building. Um, otherwise, something else is going on. Um, likely, a lot of the staff are already gone. Uh, usually, the trainers are the last people in the building trying to take care of everybody and, and manage the medical side. But you're there trying to take care of the coaches as they do their game plan uh, till, you know sometimes uh, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Uh, you have days that are a little bit shorter as you get closer to the game or travel. But the reality is you got 50 different things going at the same time. It's a lot of time management. It's a lot of, a lot of relationship management between the players, staff, coaches, outside entities that are sponsors, I mean, you name it. Um, so there's a lot going on. It's a lot thrown your way. So if it's a lot of just managing the, the constant noise, trying to at least streamline it the best you can and then you know, do what you can to make, you know, essentially make shit happen. You're you know, one of the best qualities that, that you can have uh, outside of being a good quality sports nutrition practitioner is being the get shit done guy. If you can solve problems, you're valuable. But again, solving problems is not going to make you good at what you do necessarily without being able to do the base. A lot of what you're talking about, I think, is applicable to uh, a lot of different situations. So not only in the professional sports world, but, you know, it, even with your military background. Right. So you got to be the guy who's got the answers sometimes. So how does that work when you're up against how do, you, how do you find the middle ground between what you know the player needs and maybe what um, the coaches want uh, or what the player wants? Or, you know, sometimes I imagine you have a lot of family members kind of in the ear of some of these players. So how do you kind of mitigate what you know that they need from a nutrition standpoint with all of that other noise that you talk about? 
I think that's where you get to almost the art of coaching. Like, yeah, you're, you are a medical practitioner. You're, you're there in that capacity, but it's essentially a relationship business. Um, and your ability to, uh, be productive and be effective really relies on your ability to maintain those relationships and, and constantly improve them and, and assess them throughout the year. You're not going to win everybody, but if you make the effort consistently, you're going to, you're going to do better and you're going to work towards it. Um, the goal is not necessarily to please everyone, but to do right by them. One of the unique situations that the NFL has or really any pro sport has, um, that makes it a bit challenging is you're in a position where the players generally speaking, trust you with a lot, not more than they should, but they trust you because you're there supporting them, but you are in their eyes, sometimes beholden to the organization. And so in my opinion, the best thing that you could possibly do is be open and honest with the player of, here's what's going on as uh, what information you can share of here's what's here's what the goal is um, for you playing time wise, how it's going to impact that. Uh, here are the things that are being asked of you by, by coaching staff, et cetera, and uh, being able to make it work on that side. And then as comfortable as you are uh, being the advocate of the player and the organization at the, at the same time with the coaching staff and the scouting staff, because if they're asking a guy to do something that their body isn't going to be able to do effectively or efficiently, or may potentially negatively affect their performance. And you can speak to that with confidence and with relative certainty, then I believe that it's your duty to do that, to be the advocate of the player in the organization if you're putting somebody in a bad position, ultimately the organization suffers too. You just have to be able to speak to that or package that well enough to be able to get the point across and not piss everyone off. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it is really a challenge there to manage both sides. Um, essentially with the families, one of the ways that you can manage it is to figure out why certain things are being done. And if it is a, a wife or a girlfriend or uh, a roommate that ends up um, controlling how they eat. It's okay. How can I, how can I impact that? Is it, you know, we need to have the, the wives of some of the vets over that, that are all relatively friendly and get them to, to each bring over a bottle of wine and an Uber and, you know, crack them open and do a cooking class and make it a, a social event to be able to help them do a little bit better at home and get that, you know, 1% change. Or is it you need to you need to help do one on one and like hey I've got a new baby how can I make it better for the spouse and say if you make X Y and Z change um, you know your life will be a whole heck of a lot better a lot of it is kind of life skills management and relationship management even with their spouse or peers that that impact their feeding um, you're not always going to be successful but the the wins that you have are going to be pretty significant. Can you talk about uh, just some things that you experienced while working with uh, that particular club that have kind of stuck with you uh, over the last couple of years? Oh yeah. So, um, I mean, I was, I was fortunate enough to work for an organization that, um, that valued hiring good people uh, that were there for 
the right reasons, you know, as best as any human could possibly do. Um, and we're blessed with probably the best sports medicine staff I've ever encountered in my, my career wholesale, um, along with just people in general. So people that actually care about you because you're essentially with them significantly more than you are with your family. So uh, they end up becoming a second version of that. So I would say that, you know, I, I value the, the respect of my peers of asking for the opinion uh, relative to my area and how they can do better. And, and honestly, everybody just trying to work towards um, improving themselves in their specialty um, because I, there aren't too many places where people honestly ask for feedback and not just to say they do. Uh, so that was number one. But then also, yeah, you have some special people around that that are different from most. And one of those, um, there were plenty of them at the organization, but uh, one specifically, you know, Mike Parsons, the uh, director of uh, equipment services there for the Houston Texans. And one of the years that uh, I was there around, it's probably two weeks before or a week before um, the salute to service game, which is the military appreciation weeks or month um, in the NFL, uh, a group of guys from a former unit that I worked with at fifth group um, ended up passing away uh, in an operation overseas. And um, long and short of it was he went out of his way to uh, honor them uh, by I basically asked for name and rank and uh, wanted to be able to allow me to, to represent them, uh, kind of honor them on the field. Uh, ended up embroidering their names and rank on my game day stuff. Kind of showed up in the locker room as a as a pretty impressive surprise. I believe it was in Jacksonville. We went to go play them. But um, when you have people that are, are around you for a period of time impact you and they end up passing away, it's not something easy. Everybody's, you know, you add stress of the NFL of, or any other high stress environment and makes things worse. So a little bit of a rough time on my end and that gesture is huge. So incredibly thankful for, for experiencing people like that and having them around because uh, there aren't too many organizations that I've experienced that have uh, the volume of quality people that, uh, that I experienced there for sure. Do you still currently work with uh, professional athletes in your private practice? Um, I, I work with some. I mean, uh, I, I don't work directly with any of my former athletes from the Houston Texans. Just if one were to, to ask, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, but kind of respectfully out of, you know, Lad Harris is there now and that's, that's his job. And um, I'm sure he's going to do well. And, I don't want to step on anyone's toes because I know how hard it is just to do your day day to day job without someone else's opinion or someone else's, uh, um, I guess, perspective uh, that that only has a, a piece of the picture. So I didn't, I don't really want to uh, step on his toes. But yeah, like I, if if I were to work with someone on a team like that, I think from if I knew the person that was working with the organization, I would attempt to to reach out to at least have some collaboration and understanding of, of how you can do the most good without inappropriately pushing them by the wayside or disparaging them inappropriately because that, that happens a ton and probably shouldn't because a lot of people don't know what the hell actually happens inside buildings. Um, people make a lot of assumptions on the outside when they see Sundays in ESPN, but 
they honestly don't know what the hell they're talking about a lot of times, which which leads to to kind of rough stuff out there. Um, and and everyone can can accidentally fall into it by making uh, making judgments. I know I've been one to to do it myself. So uh, so I guess the short answer is no, not with the not with the Texans, but but other professional athletes. Yeah, it's uh, different sports, but but yes. So what piece of advice would you give maybe a young dietitian who's thinking about um, working in a sports nutrition program? Um, depending on where you came from and what your level of experience is, and I, honestly, everybody can grow. I think the, the thing that a lot of dietitians, but most specifically in sports, need to do is an honest needs assessment of where they are, what what benefit can they provide an organization? What are their areas of, of expertise and what are their gaps? And then honestly trying to find who does that best or what the list of people uh, is that, that do that best to be able to help develop them, find a mentor. Um, and not, not for the sake of taking their word as law, but to develop yourself and develop your own programming style and interaction style and to develop a full more full understanding of uh, sports based on their context. I used to warn people all the time. Uh, it sounds great to have somebody that's in the NFL. It sounds great to have somebody that's in the NBA or special forces or, or what have you. But to be quite honest, a lot of people that are in those have experienced, you know, college for instance is a completely different world from the NFL is a completely different world from really everywhere else. Um, so all of them have positives and negatives and unique challenges. Learn from as many people as you can um, to be able to help shorten your learning curve, but then honestly to get a better picture of where you think you want to go. Um, because without that, you can assume a lot of things, but um, understand that you get like one snapshot of one day of the picture uh, a lot of times and, and trying to be open and if you're going to ask questions of sports dietitians, make them fully formed and reasonable. And then if, the, if you're asked to do some work to be able to get the answers, fucking do it. Like if you're asking someone who's busy as shit, getting their nuts crushed or whatever for however many months a year, if you're asking something of them and they ask something very little of you and you choose not to do it, pretty sure that doesn't look good it's probably not going to work out in in your best interest if if a small piece of of work whether it's looking something up or asking for a review on something uh, is too much to ask of you then don't even reach out it's not worth your time you probably are not going to get along well with with those that are uh, that are doing the work but one of the things that i would caution a lot of young uh and not even young, like for any age, sports dietitian, doesn't matter how old you are, but uh, a, a lot of people think they want to work in the professional world or have strong opinions of, of where they want to go and they've never experienced it or never asked uh, or developed relationships with people that, that are actually in it, working it day to day, and don't know what the fuck it is. Take the time to learn it or to develop relationships with people and don't expect it. Uh, not that you would get in a dishonest answer, but... Uh, a lot of people are guarded intentionally and appropriately uh, in that world because the 
the ramifications of information getting out or even just parts of statements getting out that are inappropriately misrepresented um, can can lead to some pretty bad repercussions. So like, just try to, if you want information, develop an honest relationship or communication with a person and you know, try to figure it out. And then, you know, professional sports isn't for everybody. There's only 18 full-time dietitians in, of the 32 teams right now anyway. There are, you know, not that many in the NBA. There are not that many in Major League Baseball. Not that there won't be, but not that you, and again, not that you shouldn't have higher goals and like try to reach for the top of your profession, but the top of your profession isn't necessarily the NFL or you name the professional entity. Like the, the league itself is very um, narcissistic in nature. Um, like they, they believe they're the best at everything. They're very um, self-centered of not in, historically not looking a whole lot of other places from a league standpoint, not the people in the other organizations, but not looking outwardly and really thinking that what you're doing is best and that's hindered them overall. So, you know, is there a place that can develop you as an individual to get you to a point where you can do that job appropriately and not get promoted to incompetence by working as an intern or as a, as a, uh, short term, uh, one time experience or, or very limited time experience and moving into an NFL realm where all of a sudden you get smacked square in the mouth and it's the fire hose coming at you and not being able to do your job because the base wasn't there for you to do it appropriately or effectively under stress mm-hmm. of, you know, it takes time to develop. Nobody got that overnight. If they did, God bless them. But also remember that there are a lot more struggles that come with that uh, happening overnight than developing and doing it the right way. I wouldn't do it the way that I did it if I had it all over, had it to do all over again, but uh, we are where we are. So there are plenty of opportunities for people to learn right now, take them, reach out, try to develop a network of people that, that actually make you better instead of just gossip and talk shit, do something in your, in your time, not time off, but in your, your time that you're intentionally developing yourself all the time. Otherwise you're going to fall behind because I can damn sure tell you that people that, are in my peer group that I choose to be around and communicate with uh, consistently are the ones that are going to do everything they can to get a leg up education wise, development wise, you name it. And so if you're not, you will be falling behind. I think that's stellar advice. I think that sometimes uh, you run into people who think that things are going to come easy. And as soon as they get hard or difficult, then that's kind of where they stop. So I think having a mentor um, and stretching yourself, uh, I think that's that's really great advice. Are yeah, it's sure? hard. There's there's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations. You know, it's one of those, you know, a, a statement that stuck with me because not everything's been good. It sounds like where I'm at today is not necessarily where a lot of people would want to be, and you know, a lot of people know that. Yeah, it's success has not been linear. Like sometimes you get knocked down a few pegs and that's okay. Uh, but remember that success is never permanent and failure is never final. Like, fuck it. Who cares? Like own up to it. Just be honest. Own up to the shit that you messed up. Get better. Don't make, don't make the mistake again. Everybody's going to have them. If you don't, then you're probably not doing a good enough job. Yeah. Resiliency is key for sure. One thing that a lot of people, and it's not, um, 
it's not to blame a generation by any means, but we're, we don't communicate with people face to face a lot. And so one of the biggest uh, barriers to a lot of young dietitians getting into the sports world is the fact that it is a relationship business. And you may be intelligent, you may be book smart, you may be able to spout off all the facts in the world, but if you can't communicate with another human being effectively, develop rapport and have honest empathy, you're fucked. So develop emotional intelligence, find a way, challenge yourself, because if not, you're going to be shit without it. And these aren't things that any young dietitian coming up is, is really going to learn right in college or even during internship. These are all things that a lot of times we have to figure out on our own once we've actually started working towards our personal and professional goals. And that's part of the reason that, you know, I'm really interested in doing this is because I learned a lot of theory in college. Um, and when I got set loose in the working world um, is really where all the learning happened and reality kind of smacks me in the face. Yeah, you see it all the time with people that they graduate their internship, they pass their RD exam, and like, oh, fuck, I'm a dietitian. Now I can do everything. And I appreciate and applaud their enthusiasm overall because, you know what, I was there at one point, too. I can't say that I wasn't. And I got way ahead of my skis. But at the end of the day, that's where, that's where you're just beginning. Like, you're effectively a base-level practitioner that needs to now learn how to actually do. <laughs> um, and that's not a bad thing. That's appropriate. That's to be expected. But a lot of people expect that just like in the culinary world, I liken it a lot to my time at Johnson and Wales. I have so many peers from culinary school that thought the second that they graduated, they had their culinary degree. They're going to be a fucking executive chef. Are you shitting me? Nobody in their right mind, unless it was mommy and daddy paying for that shit would hand you the reins to a, to a restaurant let alone a multi-million dollar entity, whether it be a college or professional team. <laughs> so there's a lot of learning and a lot of mistakes that have to happen in between. You just have to find the right place for you to develop and, and get to that point. Life lessons 101. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. So if people are interested in contacting you or they want to work with you, um, what's the best way to reach you? Probably the easiest way to find me uh, is... Uh, either, well, contact me as either email at fuelingperformance4 at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at fuelingperformance. You know, feel free to, to shoot me a message either place and uh, can talk through easier ways to communicate if that makes sense and can go from there. I'm all over the place a lot of times, but if I don't get back to you in a day, I'm sorry, but I will get back to you. Steve, I appreciate you taking the time to... Um, talk to us about your career, about the Texans, about the military. Uh, and I hope that we'll get to have another conversation again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a good experience for sure. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right, guys. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. I had a really good time talking with Steve. He's a terrific dietitian. He's had some really amazing and unique experiences, and he's just a great person. So make sure that if you liked today's show that you check out our Instagram at PerformanceRDPodcast. Share it with your friends. And if you have questions, click the link on the bio, leave a voice message, drop me a DM, or you can also email me, Susan at PerformanceRD.org. If you're a performance dietitian and you want to be featured on the show, you can also contact me there. All right, guys. So we'll see you next time. We'll be right